The following audio is from Norris Ferry Community Church. More information about Norris Ferry Community Church is available at norrisferrychurch.org. As we think about this passage, we see Paul with this amazing claim, and I want to think about what a difference it makes and help us think, how does this make a difference in our lives? And I thought one way to do it is to get your input. So when I ask these are not rhetorical questions, I do want you to interact to give you a little time to think. What I want to hear from you is imagine you have, and this this happens often in humans because we're, we're far from perfect parents and far from perfect spouses, but if your spouse is one that you don't feel like you are on stable ground with, you feel like there is always the potential of condemnation and wrath and anger to come your way. If you don't feel secure in unconditional love with your spouse, what is going to show up? What are some of the symptoms? What are you going to feel and think? How is that going to show up and impact you in your life if you don't feel that your spouse has unconditional love, that your spouse is is kind of, you just never know if they're going to condemn or have anger or, or it's just not that security. And as you're thinking, because I'm going to ask you for feedback in just a minute, as you're thinking, also think in a parent-child relationship. Either think about how your children will be impacted or think about how you would be impacted. Uh, as a parent, if your parent does not create an environment where you know you're secure in their love, you know that there's unconditional love, if, if you live in this sense of of potential condemnation and wrath, how does that affect you? So what, what are some symptoms of not having assurance with uh, human relationships? What are some things that come to mind? Just yell the one word out there. Insecurity. That's great. Insecurity is certainly one. If, if, if I'm not sure exactly what I'm going to get with, with that person, there's going to be insecurities. What else will be some symptoms of that? Fear. Fear. Definitely some fear, fear of wrath, fear of messing up. What other things come up? Yeah, begrudging. Maybe, uh, maybe it's a sense of just, I live to just please, and there's a sense of obligation, a begrudging duty um, to please the one who you don't feel secure with. What else? Yeah, fear of punishment, doubt, some, some fear that, that there's going to be punishment in the day, doubt about whether you're ever going to be in the right place, doing the right things or not, which leads to maybe some insecurities or some reservations about things. Anything else? Whoa, wait, whoa, wait. What, say that, Robert? The race, Okay, so yeah, not sure. There's no security that the relationship will always be there. April, what'd you say? Yeah, low self-esteem. And so I want you to keep in mind these things because I, I think this helps us understand why is this such a profound truth that Paul is telling us today? Because what Paul is saying is take all that we just said and multiply it times infinity. Because that's what we're talking about. We're talking about our assurance, our security in God. In Romans 8.1, he says... Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He's saying on the heels, think about what he's been saying. This is rather 
amazing when we think about what he's been saying all throughout the book of Romans. In Romans, he's basically said, let me tell you the gospel. What's the gospel? The gospel has changed my life, Paul says. It's everything to me. Well, why so, Paul? Because the gospel reveals this amazing truth. What amazing truth? That you are not going to be able to make yourself right with God. Only God can make you right with God. Well, how so? Through Jesus. And he explains just how much we need grace and God to make us right. He explains, we've used the three categories to help us understand. The atheist who says, there is no God, or if there is a God, I don't really care about God. The moralist who says, I'm right because I'm better than that person. Creates a false standard of righteousness and says, I've created a ladder that I can climb up and I can achieve. Or the religious who says, I'm right with God because I give enough money or I attend church enough or I memorize enough scriptures or I read my Bible enough. Paul says to the atheist, to the moralist, to the religious, you can't make yourself right with God. You can't do it. Why? Because we're all condemned. And then he says, but there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And so this is profound. And getting this, grasping this, condemnation is is the opposite of justification. Justification is being declared right with God, being set free from the penalty of sin. Condemnation is receiving the penalty of sin, the wrath of God. And so Paul's saying there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And he's not just saying temporarily. He's saying the category doesn't even exist. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. It is impossible. It can't happen. It will not happen now or forever for those who are in Christ Jesus. Be assured of God's infinite, unconditional love for those of you who are in Christ. That's his point today. I can't make it impact us the way, just the full impact of that is just so profound that it's hard to even imagine. But what we're going to do today, on the heels of Paul last week, talking about that wretched flesh of mine, that that wrestling with sin, even as a believer, I still hate the fact that I sin and I wrestle with it. And he's right on the heels of saying this wretched flesh of mine, Who will deliver me from this? He says, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So this is a glorious passage today. Paul knows this is hard to believe, hard to receive. When we know, if those of us who know and are honest about our sin, that we still wrestle with sin, we still fight with sin. He knows it's hard to believe that we're not condemned. We're not under the wrath of God. We're not having to, to... our performance doesn't rise, doesn't raise the love of God or decrease the love of God. It doesn't affect the condemnation or the love of God. We are not condemned. And so he says, I know that's hard to believe. So he's going to give us three reasons that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. The first reason there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ is this. He says, God's spirit applies Christ's righteousness to us. That's why there's no condemnation. It's because the Spirit of God takes Christ's righteousness and gives us credit for it. 
And so look what he says in verse 2 through 4. He says, For the law of the Spirit of life, you're going to see the Spirit all over the place in chapter 8. The law of the Spirit of life in Christ has set you free from the law of sin and of death. For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, that's what he's been saying, what the law could not do, what you could not do, God did. I love that. What the law could not do, what you could not do, God did. Well, how so? Sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and as an offering for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. You're not condemned. Why? Because God condemned Jesus. God did what you could not do by condemning Jesus so that you're not condemned. That, my friend, is good news. And that's what the gospel means. Good news. So that the requirement of the law, what's the requirement of the law? 50-50? More good than bad? Is that what the law requires? Anyone? No? 100% perfection, righteousness, holiness. That's what the law requires. And he says... So that that requirement of the law, perfection, might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So in these verses, Paul is saying the reason that we who are in Christ yet still sin, the reason we can be sure that there is no condemnation for us, is because the Spirit of Christ applies the righteousness of Christ to our account. In other words, God does it for us. He does what we could not do by taking on flesh. And he explains this in those verses. In verse 2 and 3, the spirit of life who who sets us free from sin and death does what the law could not do, does what we could not do. God did it for us by taking on the likeness of sinful flesh, he says. Jesus was not sinful, but he took on the same struggles, the same temptations. When God took on flesh, the incarnation, what we just celebrated at Christmas, the birth of Christ, God in flesh, Emmanuel, God with us, born of a virgin, not inheriting the sin nature of man, but inheriting all the struggles and temptations and frailties that we have in our humanness. And yet he lived it perfectly. And he then died on the cross. Why, he says, an offering for sin. He's called the unblemished Lamb of God, as Hebrews talked about, the sacrificial offerings for sin to absorb the whole burnt offerings that completely absorb the wrath of God. It's not just a temporary restraining. Jesus completely absorbs the wrath of God. I picture a science fiction movie. Sorry about that. And I see God just pouring wrath out on Jesus until it's all gone. And so then he says, there is no condemnation left. You can't be condemned. Christ has already absorbed all your condemnation for you. He condemned sin in the flesh when he condemned Jesus. So that the righteous requirement of the law, so that perfection, so that righteousness, so that holiness may be fulfilled in us. He says in verse 4, Paul summarizes it beautifully in 1 Corinthians 
5.21 when he says, God made him Jesus, God made Jesus who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in him. He became our sin so that we could have his righteousness. That's the great exchange. That's an amazing gospel truth. Why are we not condemned? Because the Trinity, God is mentioned here. God did it. How did he do it? Jesus came, took on flesh, died on the cross as your offering for sin, absorbing the wrath of God. And it's applied to us by the third person, the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. All of God is working so that you may not be condemned any longer for sin. As we think about that, it's hard to believe at times when we stumble and we fall. We want to think we're condemned. We almost think it's spiritual and holy to feel condemned. Oh, I am so wretched. And we want to dwell on it. And God says, you're not condemned. We should feel shame and we hate it. But condemnation is the lack of... Of acceptance. Condemnation is the withholding of love. And God says, when you look at me, I see Christ. And in Christ, there is no condemnation. You will never find that I don't accept you. You will never find that I don't love you. I love and accept you unconditionally with an infinite love, God says to you, in Christ Jesus. So why should you believe that you're not condemned in Christ? Because God's Spirit applies Christ's righteousness in us. You see, it's not what you did in the first place. It didn't begin because, you see, there's, there's a lot of Christians that believe that I asked Jesus into my heart and I got kind of a, a, a swipe of cleansing, a reset button, but then when I go and I sin... I've, I've kind of lost some of that. And now I got to, they wouldn't call work it off because they know better. But in our minds and hearts, we tend to function that way. That I've got to do something to get back right with God. To make him love me again. To, to, to not be condemned anymore. And I need to basically earn back his favor. And we, we don't realize that what we're doing is we're, we're not... We're not living according to God's word. God says, no, it's done. You're accepted. You're in Christ. Yeah, hate it and work it and fight it. But, but don't, under, don't think of it as if God stopped loving you as much. And God is now condemning you because that's not biblical. You are not condemned ever again in Christ. Amen? That's good news. So God's Spirit applies Christ's righteousness to us is the first reason. The second reason we're not condemned if we're in Christ Jesus is because God's Spirit produces Christ's righteousness in us. God's Spirit starts to produce that righteousness in us. What He gave us credit for, He starts to produce in us. In the next verses, Paul is going to really emphasize the importance of the indwelling Holy Spirit. 
that upon faith in Christ, the Spirit of God comes into your life. In 1 Corinthians 3.16, Paul says, Do you not know that you are the temple of God? The Spirit of God dwells in you. So we've been saying, by faith, we're united with Christ. We're hidden in Christ. And now he's saying, and Christ is in you. You're in Christ, Christ is in you. There is no condemnation for Christ. There is no condemnation for the Spirit of God. You're in Christ and the Spirit of God is in you. There is no condemnation for believers in Jesus Christ. In verses 5 and following, he starts to explain how this, having the Spirit of God in us, produces assurance. Assurance flows from the righteousness that the Holy Spirit starts to produce in our life. When we see the Spirit of God, the fruit of the Spirit in our life, we start to gain assurance that, yes, I am in Christ and the Spirit in me. Look at verses 5 and following. He starts to describe, now he uses a lot of negative phrasing talking about the flesh and contrasting that is implied in the Spirit. He says, for those who are according to the flesh, set their minds on the things of the flesh. Contrary to that, though, but those who are according to the Spirit, what's implied there is they set their mind on the things of the Spirit. So there's a new mindset. The Spirit of God indwells the believer. The Old Testament looked forward to that day and called it a new heart where the law of God would be written on the heart. Paul says it's a completely new mindset when the Spirit of God comes into your life so that now your mind is set on the things of the Spirit. Verse 6, in contrast, the mind set on the flesh is death. The mind set on the Spirit is life and peace. In contrast, because the mind set on the flesh has these attitudes towards God. The mind of the flesh is hostile toward God. The mind of the flesh does not subject itself to the law of God. The mind of the flesh is not even able to do so, he says. So those in the flesh cannot please God and, yes, are under condemnation. In contrast, though, those in the Spirit, those who have the Spirit of God indwelling them, start to find they are not as hostile to God. They start to love God and want the things of God. And they are subjecting themselves to the law of God, to the will of God. They want to obey God. And they are able to obey God. They are able to say yes to the the commands and no to sin. And they will please God. And so he says, everything has changed when you've embraced Christ and Christ embraces you. He fills you with his spirit. He gives you a completely new mindset so that you not only can, but you will begin to love God, love the things of God, love the word of God, love the people of God. And you will see a new life springing up from within you. And that starts to affirm within your heart, yes, the Spirit of God is producing this in me. And that reminds you, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. 
he goes in further in, in verses 10, 9 and 10. He says, but if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he doesn't belong to him. If Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the spirit is alive because of righteousness. So Paul says there is no in-between. If you're in Christ, you have the Spirit. If you have the Spirit, He'll produce new desires. Those new desires will affirm in you, yes, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. This is not some uh, second and third experience of the Spirit that leads you to a point where you no longer sin. That's not what He is saying. He is saying, if you're in Christ, though you continue to wage war with sin you will see a hatred for sin and new desires for the things of God. And that should tell you, yes, Christ is in me working and there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And not only is there no condemnation now, but he says there is no condemnation ever. In verse 11, he speaks about looking forward. He says, but if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. The same spirit who dwelled in Jesus, who rose Jesus from the dead. The very same spirit whom Jesus said, it's good for you that if I go, because I'm going to give you my spirit. That same spirit that rose him from the grave will raise all believers from the grave. This is the great hope of all who have ever buried a loved one. That they know with certainty, if they're in Christ, they have raised to walk with Christ. The same Spirit who raised Jesus raised them from the dead. And that's our hope, to know that we're not going to meet condemnation. We don't fear death. The end of us, the end of this life on this earth is not the facing of a God who's mad at us. It's the embrace of a loving father, as he's about to tell us. He's saying, welcome home. I've been waiting for you. I've been preparing you for this moment. That's a beautiful concept that we should find in our hearts. That heart should produce confidence and a freedom to live radically for Christ in this lifestyle. Not insecure, not living with doubts, but a confident hope and assurance and acceptance of our great heavenly father. He says, you're not condemned now and you're not going to ever be condemned. The spirit of God who lives within you produces a new desire for the life of God, for the things of God, produces a new desire and a hunger for holiness and a hatred for sin. And that spirit who does that in you is the same spirit who raised Jesus from the grave. He will also raise you from the grave to walk in eternal life free from condemnation free to love and embrace your heavenly father. And then that should produce in us a great sense of obligation. In verse 12, he says, So then, brothers, we are under obligation. Not to the flesh. How could you live for the flesh knowing all of that, having experienced all of that? For if you're living according to the flesh, you must die. But we are under obligation by the Spirit. If by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. 
Why do we wage war with sin? Because the Spirit of God produces that in us and because we grasp the glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul puts it negatively. The believers are not obligated to live by the flesh. He implies that we are obligated and dwelled by the Spirit of God to put to death the deeds of sin by the power of the Spirit. It's a mystery. It's hard to explain. I want to put in a nice little bow on it for you, but here's what it is. You can't do it without God, and God won't do it without you. Okay? He wants to perfect you and produce a holiness in your lifestyle, but you have a role in that. You don't just sit back, let go, and let God do His thing. I'm good with God. Jesus has got me covered. That's not what the Spirit produces in us. The Spirit produces within us a war against sin, a hatred of sin, and a love for Christ, and a love for His ways. I'm not saying that doing the right thing saves you and makes you right with God. I'm saying God saving you makes you do the right things. And I'm not saying you always get it right. It's more about the heart. That when you fail, what does your heart say? It's no big deal. That's not what the Spirit says. But when you fail, the Spirit of God says, Okay, I love you unconditionally. I have infinite, unconditional acceptance of you in Christ. Now that, get, that, that means you should get up and fight this with every ounce of your being. That's the spiritual war with sin. It's not perfectionism, but it is a hatred for sin and a a love for Christ. It's not, hey, I I broke a law. The city has a law. The state has a law. I broke that law. No, it's, I just crushed my spouse's heart. I I don't want to do that ever again. That's the difference is love, acceptance, unconditional, no condemnation. It doesn't lead to a license to sin and a downplaying of of the, the responsibility. It enhances it and says, oh my gosh, he loves me that much. How could I ever do that to him? And so that leads us to our final reason. The reason we're not condemned. Number three, God's spirit testifies to God's adoption. Of us. We've got a lot of people, man. It is so awesome to see. We've got a lot of people in our church who are adopting people, adopting beautiful children. And it is just a beautiful picture of the gospel. I had someone tell me about one of the families adopting a kid. Hey, it was funny. They said, hey, that, that baby just hit the lottery. And I'm like, that is so true. It is so much infinitely more true for us when Christ adopted us. We hit the lottery in Christ. Verse 14, for all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. Not slaves, not servants, not guests in my house. 
You never received a spirit of slavery leading, leading to fear. You don't walk on eggshells. Oh, he's going to beat me or oh, I messed up. I'm going to get kicked out of the house. No, you're sons. He's reached down and chosen you in Christ to make you his son. And not just some estranged son who you kind of have this formal relationship with his son and father. No, it's an intimate relationship. He says, you've received the spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. That's some Aramaic for like daddy, father. It's the most intimate term a son can say to his father. It's a relationship where the Spirit himself says within us, yes, God loves me. Yes, God accepts me unconditionally. Yes, God will never turn his back on me. No matter what, God, I'm his son, and I can be certain that I am an heir. Paul says in Ephesians, all the spiritual blessings of the heavenly places are yours in Christ. All that God promises you, you're his child. That's why he brought you into the family, is to give you the inheritance that he has promised. Fellow heirs with Jesus Christ. This is an amazing, profound truth to grasp. And as we began at the beginning, grasping this has tremendous implications in our life. If we don't know that we are secure in the love of God, if we don't know that we are secure free from condemnation, if we don't know that every single time in Christ, every single time I turn to him, I'm going to see love and acceptance and embrace from him. If we don't know that, timidity, insecurity, fear, overachievement to find praise, all these things, we will be detrimentally affected to the extent we don't grasp these realities. Paul is saying, everything that could be yours is yours in Christ. And so we have doubts and we have fears and we at times feel condemned. At those times, we need to pray. We need to seek the Lord. We need to read the scriptures. We need to embrace believers and we need to say, remind me of this gospel because it's the gospel setting our mind on the things of the spirit is setting our mind on the gospel, on the truths that we've been talking about week in and week out, that I am not able to make myself right with God. I am in right with God only because of Jesus Christ. Christ has put his spirit in me and he is not going to stop. He is going to perfect me. He is going to finish this process. I will ultimately, when I am with him face to face, I will not have sin in me anymore. I will not have to fight this battle anymore. We win in Christ. And we get back up on our feet and we say, that's the rocket fuel to fight sin. We don't sit there and waller, well, Paul said, I'm always going to struggle with this. And so I just, I guess I'm just going to struggle with it. No, eight comes behind seven. 
And eight says, you get back up. And if the Spirit's in you, the Spirit will move you to hate that sin and live to fight sin another day. Father God, we pray that these truths will settle in our hearts. And I know, Lord, with a packed room today that that you have touched hearts this morning. I pray every one of us will do business with you. I pray that after this service, you will move people to come and visit with the pastors and talk about these things. I pray that you will move individuals to sign up for Connection Group to to learn how to walk in the gospel family. I pray that you will wrap us with that testimony of the Spirit. The Spirit of God will well up in us as believers and confirm in our hearts that we are safe and secure in the arms of Christ because he did what we could not do. And I pray that that confident assurance will produce within us a radical, holy lifestyle of warring against sin and promoting the glory of God. I pray that you'll move us to tell our friends about this beautiful message. I pray that we will be witnesses in our community, that we will go out and invite people to come and hear what Paul is teaching that you inspired to teach us. I pray, Lord, you'll make much of your own name's sake here. Lord, shine your glory in this community, in this city, through our church and every other church that embraces this same gospel from our neighborhood to the nations. She would declare your praise and your glory through this gospel message. I pray for the Jaggers and New Orleans and that team. I pray that they will be motivated by this gospel to press on each day and that New Orleans will see the light in the darkness. I pray for the Lewises in South Sudan as they give their life to this gospel message that they will keep on keeping on pressing this good news into darkness. I pray for the work in Guatemala and Nicaragua. I pray for all the missions and ministries that our people are are investing in. I pray for our families. Lord, I pray that we will glorify you in all that we say and all that we do, bathing in this great news. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Norris Ferry Community Church located in Shreveport, Louisiana. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Norris Ferry Community Church, please visit us online at norrisferrychurch.org.